Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. I want to speak to you this morning about something I don't think gets talked about too often anymore in church. And that is about salvation. So today is going to be Salvation 101. And one thing I want to make sure that I do not do is I don't want to get you to start doubting your salvation. That's not the purpose of this. I just want us to maybe be challenged in the area of of our salvation and are we doing everything within our salvation that God has called us to do? I'll probably talk about this a little more as we move along and it probably won't get it all in this week. But as we receive Christ as our Savior, there's so many people that it seems like to me that that is the end of it all. They receive Christ and instead of continuing in their salvation, they got their fire insurance and then they stopped growing, they stopped maturing, they stopped learning and continuing on with the Lord. Has any of you ever seen that? I want us to be a people who we receive our salvation, we know who we are in Christ and we grow in that, we, we know who He has made us, we know our calling on our life, we grow in those things, we distance ourselves from sin and we walk in His righteousness and we learn who we are in Jesus Christ and we are a shining light to an extremely dark world. That's what we should be doing. So as we go through salvation 101, my intent is not to cause you to doubt your salvation, but I do want you to take a look and maybe be challenged in your salvation as far as are you doing everything with what Christ has done for you. We have a quote from William Booth in the late 1800s. William Booth was a man who was a Methodist preacher and he wasn't satisfied with the status quo of the church. So he began going outside the church onto, into the streets and preaching the gospel to anyone who would listen. And it was mainly the poor that would listen to him. And the church did not like what he was doing because it just wasn't the status quo. And so he started, he is the founder, William Booth is the founder of the Salvation Army. And in the late 1800s, he says this quote, which is just an astounding quote to me. The chief danger that confronts this, the coming century, and of course, we're a century and a half out from this, but it still applies. He says the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. And I'll be honest with you folks, I do have some concern of the state of the church today. I think we have soft-pedaled the gospel. Was anyone here this morning, was you, was you saved under a hellfire and brimstone message. We have, we have several of you. You know the hellfire and brimstone. How long has it been since you have heard a hellfire and brimstone message? 
been a long time, hasn't it? And I'm not saying that all of those are good, but I am saying I think we're missing something today by not hearing those kind of messages. Because we have soft-pedaled the gospel so much that it's so easy for someone to come in not recognizing that they are a sinner and they need to be saved by grace. That is a message that needs to be heard today. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I just want to say this. Is God good? Absolutely. Is God forgiving? Absolutely. Does He have a wonderful plan for your life? He most certainly does. But do you know that as disciples spoke to those who were unsaved, you never once hear any of those things. God has a wonderful plan for your life. Come on in. And we make it so simple and so easy. And I don't think we need to complicate it. But at the same time, there needs to be a conviction of our sin. There needs to be repentance of our sin. And there needs to be confession of our sin. And those two things are what I want to speak to us this morning. You and I need to be living a life of confession. We need to be living a life of repentance. And that is not because you're constantly falling. It's because we are in a constant relationship with the holy and righteous God. Do you feel what I'm trying to convey to you? So as we go through this, I don't want to soft pedal. I don't want to make it difficult. You know, I've heard it said that some churches make it so make it more difficult to get into your church than it is to get into heaven. I don't want to do that this morning. But at the same time, I want us to recognize some of the things that are here in William Booth's quote, because I think every single point he makes here is absolutely true. That there will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Do you know you cannot pick up your Bible and not constantly, as you go from Genesis to Revelation, constantly be seeing the fingerprint of the Holy Spirit. It's there. Old Testament, New Testament. Holy Spirit is there. And there's churches today that never talk about the Holy Spirit. Who never want to talk about the move and the power of the Holy Ghost. You can't have religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. We see that today. I have been. You probably have too. I've been to church services where the name of Christ is never mentioned. And that should not be today. You can't have Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. You cannot have forgiveness without repentance. Saying you're sorry is not repenting of your sin. Being sorry, and we'll talk about this later. Being sorry is a good thing, but it has to lead you to repentance. Salvation without regeneration. There are so many that I see who have quote unquote received Jesus Christ as their savior, they have salvation, but there's no regeneration. 
There's no change. There needs to be. Politics without God, that goes without comment. And heaven without hell. We can preach the good side of the gospel and not the bad side. You have to preach hell. There is a hell. And we have to admit it. And one of those old fire and brimstone points that they always made was things like this. Hell is for sure. The flames are large. The flames are hot and the flames are deep. And if you go there, you're going to burn for eternity. And scaring people into heaven, I don't know, is necessarily the best tactic. But it's better than you going there. I'd rather be scared into heaven than to have been left untold about the dangers of hell. You can't have heaven without hell. Do you sense where I'm coming from? In 2 Peter 1, 5 through 10, this is concerning what is talked about in Scripture as the partakers of the divine nature. You and I, if you've received Jesus Christ, we are now partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Not just nature, but divine nature. And I love exploring the divine nature each and every day of my life. Learning about the divine nature of God. Hallelujah. He has a nature that is above ours. And we are supposed to enter into that with him. So he's talking about those of us who have received Christ as our Savior. And we are partakers of the divine nature. And in verse 5 it says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith. That's my concern. I'm, I'm you know, uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says that we are saved by grace through faith. My concern today is that we have people who have received Christ as their Savior, but they're not adding to. You and I need to be adding all of these things. Salvation was not the end. Salvation was just the beginning. And there's so many things that we need to be adding to our salvation so that we can grow and mature and become who Christ wants us to be so that we can be Christ-like. Hallelujah. Verse 5 once again, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. There's a continuation of adding to. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Never stumble. How many of you want to never stumble? We were just told how to never stumble. Begin to add these things to your salvation. Begin to grow in the things of God. Begin to have fruit in your life. 
the word says you shall know them by their fruits. Are you producing good fruits in your life? Look at your life and say, am I producing heavenly fruits where I am affecting people in a positive way, where I'm sharing things of life from the life giver? Hallelujah. We want to be producing good fruit. Born again, we must be born again. John 3, starting out in verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Here we have a person who's a churchgoer. He's a Jew. He's in, right? Back in the Old Testament, Jews were in. They are the chosen people. He was not only a Jew, but he was also a Pharisee. Pharisees believed in angels. Pharisees believed in the life hereafter. So he is an upstanding, today would be what we would look at as an upstanding Christian. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, giving him a compliment. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's an interesting response that Jesus has. Here's this upstanding person in the church, in the temple, and he pays Jesus a compliment that no, nobody without God could be doing the things you're doing. Jesus pays no attention to that whatsoever. And he goes right past his stance, his position in the church. And he says, unless you're born again. Now we could turn around. He could have turned around and said, you have got this down. You are in a great position. God has a wonderful life for you. God loves you. And all of those things are true. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you shall not enter the kingdom. And that's what we need to be confronting the unsaved with. Jesus having a great plan for them. Jesus having... Such tremendous love for them. All those things are true. And I don't think it hurts to share those things with them. But they have to know that unless they are born again, they will not be saved. We don't get that out there as much as what we should. The God loves you and he has a great plan for you comes after you're saved. Does that make sense? Okay. I'm assuming you're so quiet because I'm hitting you between the eyes. It hit me between the eyes when I began to feel convicted these last couple of weeks. Actually, it's been about a month the Lord's been dealing with me about this and what I was going to share with you. It began to hit me in the eyes too. Once again, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, this is the exact challenge that you and I have when we are speaking to the unsaved. It's the exact challenge that you and I have as being saved. 
the first thing that everybody wants to do is to look at the spiritual from the natural. And you cannot look at the spiritual through the natural. The spiritual affects the natural, but you can't look at the spirit through the natural. Does that make sense? We have to be spiritually minded. We are to have the mind of Christ. And Nicodemus, he says, how can a, when you're older, how can you enter back into the, to your mother's womb? He's looking at the spiritual aspect from the physical standpoint. Jenny's teaching on spirit, soul, and body in her Sunday school class. That is the biggest challenge for believers, I believe, today, is to be led by the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are supposed to be led by the Spirit, which changes our soul, which affects our body. But most of us, including myself, the challenge is, is we want to be led by our flesh and hope that we can change our mind and then maybe they'll affect our spirit. Totally opposite of what the word tells us about. And Nicodemus is showing us that exact thing. He's being led by his flesh. How can someone enter back into their mother's womb? Jesus most assuredly, uh, or Jesus answered most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. A lot of people interpret this meaning, uh, thinking that it means that you have to be baptized. This is not talking about baptism. This is talking about being born of the flesh. We see that in the next verse. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. When he says, when you are born of water, what happens to a woman just before she gives birth? Her water breaks, amen? So whenever you are born of the flesh, born of the water, that's what that's talking about. But we have to be born of the Spirit. And Jesus tells him, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Born again, what's, what are the characteristics of a newborn? They're squeaky clean. Amen, they're squeaky clean. That's the way you and I should be whenever we are born again. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, he has made us squeaky clean. Hallelujah. They are totally innocent. Whenever you receive Christ as your Savior, your slate has been washed. It has been wiped clean. You have been made white as snow. You are totally innocent. We don't feel totally innocent because we still know our mistakes. We still know our faults. But he doesn't see us that way. He sees us through his precious blood. Hallelujah. We are totally innocent. A newborn is totally vulnerable. You know, you and I are totally vulnerable. That's why we need the seal of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. They need protected. They need help. They need assistance. You and I need all of those things. I want the assistance of the Holy Ghost on my life. I need it. They have their whole life ahead of them. Whenever you are born again, that is your new life in Christ. It starts all over. You have your whole life ahead of you. To have true salvation, to be born again, there are two, two critical things that I mentioned earlier. Two critical elements that must be understood and done by any and all candidates. Confession and repentance. 
We must live a life of confession and a life of repentance. How many of you, uh, as I had already asked, know that, that God is good? Absolutely. All these things are true. However, there, there's, not, there's not one of those examples, as I said earlier, that we see the disciples sharing with those who are lost. In fact, after the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, Peter stood before thousands who were bewildered at what was taking place. They were hearing people speaking in, in all these different languages. And he said, you are the ones who crucified the Savior. They said, what, what shall we do? He said, repent. Repent. And there were 3,000 added to the church that day. Paul had been thrown into prison and was brought before the proconsul, and he called them a whitewashed wall. Well, that doesn't sound very seeker-friendly to me. You know, we want to be seeker-friendly. We don't want to offend anybody because we need to add to our numbers. We have bills to pay. The church shouldn't be about those things. The church should be about true salvation in the lives of the lost. Hallelujah. God is good and he does have a wonderful plan for us we are saved by his grace and we are secured as his children but once again all of that comes after we are saved Acts 16 30 and 31 Paul and Silas miraculously are delivered from prison and he brought them out and said sirs what must I do to be saved so they said Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, doesn't that sound extremely simple? Call upon the name, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's pretty simple. However, as I've said, that is just the beginning. A salvation experience in Aud 8 is not the end of it all. That's just the beginning. And we should be growing and maturing and bearing fruit. Hallelujah. Now, the entirety of Scripture gives us some great guidelines. And I want to talk about this confession and repentance. Confession. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, you know that mankind is sinful by our old nature of Adam. Mankind is sinful. So if we confess our sins, Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Some of you know my salvation story, but just quickly one little point from all of that is Virgil Jackson, when he began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with me, he had to convince me that I was a sinner because I was a good guy. I was popular in school. I had only been given a ticket one time and it was because I, my bumper was three and a half inches too hot. I mean, you know, that's the worst I'd ever done. And for me to think of myself as a sinner was revelation to me. It really was. I'm, I, I must have been tremendously guarded, which I probably was. But I'm so glad that Virgil Jackson convinced me and showed me how that I am a sinner 
that my heart is desperately wicked and that I needed a Savior. And you are the same way. Many great, I think that's one of the biggest challenges we have right here in Madison, Grant County. We have so many good people. You know, people will do anything for you. They, they will go out of their way. People are nice. People are good. But do you realize that there's a lot of good people who are going to hell every day? We need a Savior. We are all born desperately wicked. Our hearts are sinful. Our minds are screwed, screwed, <laughs> strewed all about. I don't use that word, I'm sorry. <clears throat> But we are sinful. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we've been made the righteousness of God, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We have been made the righteousness of God. But if you don't first recognize that you were a sinner and you confess your sins... Have you really received Christ in the right fashion? Do we really live for him the way we, the way we should whenever we have not confessed? We need to confess. And it's not just a one-time thing. I got saved in 1972. I confessed my sin. I repented of my sin. But it's an ongoing process. Why? Because I'm in relationship with God the Father. And he says, when you sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a great way to live. Living a life of confession. Living a life of repentance. Hallelujah. Now, confession. This is not to create an unending paranoia of have I confessed everything? Have I forgotten something? Did I wait too long? Was I sincere enough? That would be perpetual torment. And so I don't want anyone sitting here hearing me say or putting a guilt trip on you and saying, oh man, have I done enough? I don't want you going through that. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so at the point of salvation, you start your life with Christ. At the point of confession, he washes it clean and we just continue on. We don't continue to question, was I saved? We don't continue to question, did I confess enough? No, you receive Christ as your savior. Have faith in that. I confess my sin. Have faith that he is faithful and just to forgive us. And you move on in faith. And you add to your faith. You see how that works. You just keep adding to your faith. Hallelujah. So I don't want you to be in an unending state of questioning and fear and doubt. We're supposed to walk by faith. We're supposed to live by faith. Hallelujah. And that's one of those things that we walk in. Praise the Lord. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says this. Come to me, all you who are heavy, 
who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as you confess, as we repent, it should be relaxing to you. It should be peace coming upon you. It should be a, a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It shouldn't be one where you're living tensely and saying, I'm just not sure if I did enough. Because if it is up to you, then you're back into works and not grace. So know that you have confessed. Know that you have repented. Know that you have salvation through Jesus Christ because he is faithful and just. Now, confessing. Confessing is not begging, it's not pleading, it's not groveling for forgiveness. Now you must hear this. Make sure you hear this this morning and understand this next statement. You are already forgiven. I don't know if we have anyone here this morning who is unsaved or not, but do you know that the, the vilest sinner is already forgiven. Do you understand that? The vilest sinner is already forgiven. That doesn't mean they're going to heaven. But that means they are already forgiven because of the grace of God. We have to receive that gracious gift that he has given us in order to go to heaven. But you and I are all, every person upon the face of the earth is already forgiven. Doesn't mean they're all going to heaven. Does that make sense? We have to understand that. Because whenever you know that you've already been forgiven, all you have to do is receive the grace. And when you receive the grace, then you get the passport to heaven. Hallelujah. It's important. 1 John 2.12 says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Praise, praise the Lord. Now that's where we have to understand grace and works. Stick with me here. Stick with me. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Do you really believe that in your heart? I tell you, there's a lot of church folks who have not really learned the concept of grace and are still living under Old Testament law. And when we enter into that, did I do enough? Did I confess enough? Did, have I attended enough meetings? Have I done enough in the church? Then it all boils back to you and what you have done. And you've heard me say this multiple times. Are we supposed to work in the church? Are we supposed to do things? Absolutely, but we don't do those works to get saved. We do those works because we are saved. Hallelujah. Whenever you receive Christ as your Savior, then get busy in the church. But you don't get busy to gain brownie points with the Father. He's never going to love you any more, and He's never going to love you any less, regardless of what you do. There's somebody here who needs to hear that. Some of you, you've heard this so many times. 
you're saying, ah, yeah, I know all that. I hope you know that. You need to have that down on the inside of you because we are saved by grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. How do we know that thing of grace? What did Jesus say on the cross? Did Jesus say it's almost completed? You do your part? He didn't say that at all. He said, it is finished. What is the it? It, <coughs> it is finished was meaning the sacrifice for you and I sin. That is what was finished. Jesus finished the purchase of you and I. Hallelujah. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. So the life of confession is not a life of works. The life of confession is freeing when I know the work was completed by Jesus rather than me having to achieve it. So how about living honestly and freely in my redeemed life of salvation? without fear in an atmosphere of confessing that's what we're supposed to be living living in an atmosphere of confessing in a marriage let's just take Jackie and I's marriage for instance it is so freeing and it is so open and it is so much healing in whenever her and I confess whenever we've blown it whenever I've spoken to her like I shouldn't have. If I confess that and say I'm sorry. Now you do realize saying you're sorry needs action behind it. Amen? So saying you're sorry to God is not enough. There needs to be the action behind it that you are sorry. Being sorry, and we'll talk about that here sometime, is... Just one step. It has to have action behind it. The Greek word for confession means to say the same thing. So who are we to say the same thing as? We are to say the same thing as God. We acknowledge what he's already said about us. We've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. We turn from our sin and walk in his righteousness. That is part of the confession. If we say we're sorry, but we continue in that mistake, we did not complete the confession. 1 John 1, 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So it's what I was saying there earlier. Whenever we confess, then we need to walk in a different manner. So confession means to say the same thing. So I need to say the same thing as God is saying. I'm going to confess my sin and I know that he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. If you are ever wondering what to pray, just pray the word. Hallelujah. So we acknowledge what he's already said about us. We've sinned. We turn from our sin and walk in his righteousness. Now, I think we've come kind of full circle here this morning. I know you're, this is one of those messages you need to stick with me here. Are the fruit of the Spirit evident in your life? We've come full circle. 
confession is made into salvation, then you need to walk in that. You need to turn from that. You need to take those sins that you have confessed and lay them at the cross and don't pick them back up. Because when you pick them back up, then your confession is incomplete. True confession is a broken spirit, not simply a verbalizing apology. True confession is a broken spirit. Are you broken over your sin? Do you feel remorse? Are you really sorry that you did it and you don't want to walk in that any longer? That is true confession. Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, this is where David wrote to the Lord after he had sinned with Bathsheba. That is Psalm 51. And in verse 17, he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. After he had done tremendous wrong, excuse me, with Bathsheba, after he had her husband killed, he comes back and says, I need to, I have a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart. So true brokenness changes the behavior. It changes our view of sin. It changes our view of God. It gives us proper view of ourselves. I want to say this. Take responsibility for your sin. When you weaken your responsibility, you weaken your confession. Psalm 51, 1 through 3, after David's sin with Bathsheba, he said, my sin, my transgression, I acknowledge. How many of your kids or your grandkids try to pass the blame on to their sibling? Well, we can have the same tendency. We can be the same way, not taking responsibility for our sin. We need to take responsibility. When we've blown it, Admit it, confess it, and repent from it. Praise the Lord. Now, there's one other kind of confession. Confess your sin. There's one other confession we're told to make in Romans 8, uh, 10, verses 9 and 10, and that is this. That if we confess, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart... One believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Confession is made unto salvation. There has to be that confession. Confess your sin unto salvation, but then after that, we are to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to hear more believers confessing Jesus Christ. When you're at the grocery store, when you're at the restaurant... When you are even at home, just confess the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord, I acknowledge you. You are so good. You're so gracious. I'm so thankful for what you did for me at Calvary. Hallelujah. Help me to live this day for you. I confess Jesus Christ. Somebody comes over to our house. I always want to make, make this point. People will say, oh, you have a nice home. We've had so many people say, There's, it just feels so com comfy here. They use that word. That's Jackie's favorite word, comfort. It just feels comfy here. And I don't want to take responsibility for that. That's the spirit of the Lord. I'm confessing Jesus Christ. 
It's because of Jesus that we have peace in our home. It's because of Jesus that we are saved. It's because of Jesus that we are blessed. It's because of Jesus that we have anything and everything that we have today is because of Jesus Christ, the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior. So we confess our sin and then we confess Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It takes those things to be born again. Repentance. We confess and then we repent. And I won't be able to get into all of that today, but I do want to get started on it. The literal meaning is to change one's mind to the degree of changing one's actions. Repentance. Once again, Jenny's talking about the spirit, the soul, and the body. The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. We're talking about salvation. The helmet of salvation covers your mind. We are to renew our mind. Our mind, our will, our, is our mind, our will, and our emotions is the soul. So the soul needs to be transformed. Hallelujah. And it is transformed to the point to where it changes your actions. Repentance. In Martin Luther's 95 thesis, this was a 33-year-old professor at Wittenberg University in Wittenberg, Germany. He walked across the university courtyard and he nailed his 95 rebuttals to the Wittenberg Castle Catholic Church door. 95 things that he disagreed with of how the Catholic Church was operating. I wish sometimes that some of people in church only had 95 rebuttals. <clears throat> Okay, this is the number one rebuttal that he had. When our Lord and Maker Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. You hear what he's saying? He's saying that you and I need to be living a life of repentance. It's not one and done. It is a lifestyle of repenting because what that does is it causes us to have a humble and contrite heart. It causes us to recognize that I am human. I'm doing everything I can to walk in his righteousness, to walk in his goodness. But when I have failed, I am repenting of that. Because if you don't repent of it, if you don't get that out from underneath you, they begin to pile up. But whenever you keep things cleared out, it's the same thing with me and Jackie. If I keep things cleared out, they don't pile up. I don't have to go to bed angry at her. I mean, I remember times where I could lay right on the, that rail of the bed, clear over to me. You ever laid there on that rail all night long? I've done it. It's not a good place to, to sleep. But boy, when I keep the slate clean, when I'm asking her for forgiveness and she's doing the same with me, whenever I've repented of my sin before God, I feel clean, I feel, I feel good, I feel joy. I have the joy of the Lord as my strength. That should be a lifestyle of our salvation. And I'm not too sure I see a lot of believers living the lifestyle of confession and repentance. Part of what we add to. 
Let's be a people who know who we are in Christ. We are not ashamed of the gospel. And don't even be ashamed of how God has put you together. Let's just be people who know how to stay clean and keep the doorway open between us and him. Does that make sense? This is a great way to live. If there's anyone here this morning who has never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I would just ask you to raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed by it. There's never a better time to receive Christ than today. If you've not received Christ as your Savior, would you, and you would like to today, would you raise your hand and you'll not burn in hell? <laughs> you will have eternity in heaven. Okay, so I'm assuming by that, that every one of us have received Christ as our Savior. Hallelujah. I'm happy about that. So let's begin to walk in a fresh revelation of our salvation. Now I know next week, Doug is going to be sharing some things about Harmony House. It's going to be our uh, Harmony House Sunday. Take up an offering there for that. And he's going to have some guys who are going to give some testimony. And so part of the service will be that. I'll try to get the rest of this wrapped up next week. If not, well, then it'll be the following week. But we're going to continue in this about salvation 101. Let's stand. Father, I bless you for today. I thank you, Lord. I thank, just as we celebrated with communion, I thank you for your body. I thank you for your blood. I thank, oh, Lord, thank you for the tremendous plan of salvation that you had through your only son. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that we've all received your gracious gift of salvation through Christ. Now, may we walk in a deeper, deeper realm than ever before in the salvation that you've given to us. May we love you more. May we understand your love for us. Cause us to be a people of confession and people of repentance. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.